Thank you for tuning in to listen to this week's sermon at Bethel Church. Every week, Pastor Jeremy Dean delivers a powerful message rooted in Scripture, a heart for the gospel, and a love for God and His church. We also hope you check out the Bethel Church podcast, which release on Wednesdays at 8 a.m. throughout the year. To learn more about Bethel Church, you can visit lovingbethel.com. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Here's Pastor Jeremy Dean. For the rest of you, if you will take your Bibles and go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. And I, and I ask, you know, as we get started, I want to ask this question. I want you to, we, we, we came here today primarily to worship our Savior. Man, what wonderful songs that we just sang. Blessed assurance. Do you have that? Do you have an assurance in your heart, in your life, a, a confidence in your heart that you are right with the Lord, that you belong to Jesus? Did you come today with a heart overflowing and ready to just worship and love and praise God? Did you hear the words that, that he for, so, for God so loved the world, that He loves you, that He gave His one and only Son to save us? Man, this is good news. This is great stuff. This is why we are here. And the question to ask this morning is this, does Jesus make a difference in your life? Does Jesus or can He make a difference in your life? Can you go back to a time in, in earlier in life when you recognized your need for Jesus and He came into your world and your life and it changed you? It affected you. It made a difference in your life. Or maybe you're, you're here today and you're thinking, man, we got some problems in this world. Maybe you came from a week that had, it was a tough week, it was a difficult week, it was tough at work, it was challenges that come with, with that experience, or maybe at school, or just in family and life, and you're, you just had difficulties and problems, and, and you come with all of that, and it was hard to get up this morning and get out of bed and come, come here, but you thought, well, man, that's where I need to be, so you made it and you got here, and, 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 and you've had those issues. Can Jesus make a difference in those things? When you read the news, right, everything is around the world seems to be going downhill, right? We've got this war that's going on between Russia and Ukraine, and we want to be making sure we're praying for every person that's involved in that and what they're going through. And we need to pray, first and foremost, that they hear the good news of Jesus. Why? Because he does make a difference. He does change things. And over the last several weeks, we've been in the Gospel of John, and we have seen in chapter 1 that Jesus has come on the scene, and He is an answer to all of God's promises in the Old Testament. And the wait is finally over. The Messiah has finally come. The answer and the truth is here. The light has now shone in the darkness, and the darkness cannot and will not overcome it. Jesus is here. The truth, the life, the light is with us. That's the testimony of John chapter 1. 
the testimony of John the Baptist. But for you and I as we sit here, what difference does Jesus make in your life? How has he affected you? Take a look at verse 35. John chapter 1, verse 35. It says this. The next day, again, John, this is John the Baptist. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Let's pray over the reading of God's word. God, we thank you so much that you've given us your word, that we can open it this morning freely and talk about the truth, about who you are, about your plan of redemption and your desire to bring us into a right relationship with you. God, we thank you for giving it to us, and we ask you, Lord, to teach us from your word. Convict our hearts and challenge us, Lord, that we would repent of every, every sin and entanglement that comes against us, and we would turn instead to you and trust you, Jesus, with every part of who we are. Thank you for loving us. It's in your holy name we ask all these things. Amen. And so we're going to make it through 51, but I wanted to read through 42 so far. But we're going to walk through these, this narrative in John. John the Baptist is on the scene. He has been having, he's had a very public ministry. He has been calling people to repentance. He's been calling people to baptism. He's been baptizing them in the water. But in all of it, John the Baptist has been pointing others to something greater than himself. He's been pointing everyone to someone who would come who he was unworthy to even untie his shoes. He was pointing everyone to Jesus. If you're taking notes this morning, the big idea is simply this, that, that when you follow Jesus, you will see greater things. When you follow Jesus, you will see greater things. Another way that I thought about putting this up there is, is, is this, that when we follow Jesus, greater things are going to come. When we follow Jesus, greater things are going to come. And that's a big deal because we like the idea of how that sounds. We like the idea that there's something better down the road. There's something better coming next. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm going to say this now that I won't qualify this the rest of the way. I'm not talking about prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about if you put your faith in Jesus or you drop 10 bucks in the plate this morning, he's going to multiply that 100 times over by the end of the week. No, it's not like that. The greater things that God has in store for you and me and for our neighbors and our, and our community here in Oakway and all around the world are more than just monetary things. They're more than just worldly things. They're more than just material things. They're things that have an eternal significance. Can he bless us in other ways? Absolutely. Does he? Often. But that's not what he's called us to. That's not where we land. That's not where we settle. 
He has called us to greater things. And when we turn to Jesus, he makes all the difference in the world. In this particular narrative, it says the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. We saw in John the Baptist's ministry, he was always pointing people to Jesus. And here comes Jesus walking along the way. And when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says for the second time, he says, look, there is the Lamb of God. And these two disciples that were standing with John, and they're, they're not Jesus' disciples yet. They're just disciples. They're just followers. They are students of John the Baptist, right? They've been, they've been in John the Baptist's ministry. They've been listening to what John the Baptist has been teaching. They've been hearing the message of repentance that John the Baptist has been sharing. And these two disciples heard John say, Look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what did they do? They followed Jesus. They left John behind to go and follow this new guy who is on the scene that their teacher, John, has been telling them about. Now, John, the author of the gospel, records Jesus' first words here, and I think it's very interesting. In verse 37, it says, The two disciples heard him say this. They followed Jesus. And in verse 38, Jesus turns around, sees these two men following him, and he asks them a question. What are you seeking? Now, maybe that's the first thing Jesus said, right? When all this, if you take Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and all the Synoptic Gospels and John together, and you compare them, maybe that is the very first thing he said. Maybe, maybe it wasn't quite the first thing. It doesn't really matter, but it's the first thing that John, the author, wanted to bring our attention to that Jesus asked. Why? Because that's a huge question. What are you seeking? If you're taking notes, the point here is this: that many are seeking something. Many are seeking something. And usually, you're seeking something greater. Many are seeking something beyond themselves. These two men, Jesus asks, what are you seeking? And it doesn't tell us what they're looking for. Maybe they're looking for power. They came out and they heard John the Baptist preaching repentance. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Something big is happening here, right? And we want to be part of this big thing that's going on. So they go out and they follow John the Baptist. And then they hear John the Baptist say, it's not really about me. It's about this other guy who's coming, whose sandals I'm unworthy to untie. And so they realize it's about this other guy. And so they want power. So what do they want to do? When, 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 When Jesus comes walking by, they want to go follow after him. Maybe this guy, Jesus can give us the power we're looking for. Maybe they're looking for prestige. They want to be known and famous. They want want others to look at them and think that they are respectable, that there's something worthy about these disciples. And maybe they're going to find that if they just follow this new guy, Jesus, who's come on the scene. Maybe they're looking for wealth. Maybe they're looking for position and authority. Maybe they're looking for just good success. Maybe they're seeking happiness. If I follow this guy, he's going to give me what I want and I'm going to be comfortable. They're seeking something. They're looking for something. And we don't know exactly what it is, but the truth is all of us are seeking something. 
All of us recognize that there's an emptiness, that there's something missing, that we've not yet arrived, that we haven't yet achieved, we haven't yet gotten to the ideal of what we think life is all about. We recognize that we're not perfect. We're missing something. And so there's this search in our hearts. There's this search in our minds. There's this quest in our lives to find what is it we're trying to achieve or attain or receive, whatever it is. And often we are tempted as humans to try to find those answers in so many different things. Power, prestige, relationships, Material things, stuff, possessions, whatever it is, you just fill in the blank. And we know Scripture is very clear that anything other than God is idolatry. Anything that we try to, 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 to find trust in and seek after and to fill that void will always fall short. Jesus asks them the question, what do you want? What are you looking for? Why are you coming after me? And he can ask you the same question. Today, as you sit here right now, as you're listening online, what are you seeking? What does your heart desire? What is it that you're pursuing? And if your first answer is not an abiding relationship with Jesus, then you're settling. You're settling for less than best. That's the first thing that Jesus asks. Now look at their response. Look at verse 39. I'm sorry, look at verse 38. He asked the question, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? What an interesting question. Where are you staying? They didn't ask him, you know, oh, teacher, we're looking for power. How can we get it? Or teacher, we're looking for knowledge. How can we get it? Oh, teacher, we're looking for answers to life's biggest questions. Can you, can you tell us? They, they didn't ask him that. They said, where are you staying? This is significant because it does say it's like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. These guys were at least looking to spend time with Jesus. They were looking to be with him for a while. And it tells us in verse 39, he says, come and you will see. If you're taking notes, that's the next thing. Jesus invited them to come and to see. That's important. Because Jesus didn't look at these men and say, I know what you're seeking. You're seeking the wrong thing. You're looking for power and fame and Wealth and comfort and happiness, and that's, that's not what life is all about. Come back later. Get your act together. Get your priorities straight, and when you get your priorities straight, then come see me. That's not what he said. Jesus hears their question, where are you staying? And, and, and he offers an invitation. He says, and, and Jesus knows what's in their heart. He knows really what's inside of them. And he offers the invitation anyway. He says, come and you will see. In other words, come and I will give you what you seek, even if you don't really understand what your heart desires. And that's a huge thing that the God of the universe came and dwelt among us and invited us into his home. Wow. For God so loved the world. Man, that's good. 
Whatever it is you're seeking, whatever it is your heart desires, whatever it is that you're looking for in life, Jesus invites you to come and find the answer. And like I said, Jesus knows. He knows what's in your heart. If you look over in chapter 2 of John, we haven't gotten there yet, but we'll skip ahead a little bit. Look at the very last verse of John chapter 2. The very last verse of John chapter 2, verse 25, it says, Jesus needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knows you. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what your desires are. He knows what your motivations are. He knows what frustrates you. He knows what makes you angry. He knows why you, why you get mad at other people. He knows what sins and temptations you struggle with. He knows what buttons press you and move you the wrong way. I mean, he knows the skeletons in your closet. He knows your past. He knows everything about you. Not only does he know you in your heart, he knows your needs. He knows what you need. He knows what it will take for you to come to him. He knows what relationships you need. He knows what you're lacking and how to fill it. Jesus knows you. He knows your heart. And here's the deal. We know in Jeremiah chapter 17 that our hearts, that place where our core convictions are, where the seat of our desires are, what we really, who we really are on the inside and what we really desire and pursue is in our hearts. And what, what do we know about our hearts? In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Then he says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. Jesus knows what's in you. He knows your heart. And another observation from this is that the answer that you seek in life, whatever it is that you're pursuing, is not found in your heart. It's not found in you. It's found in someone else. You're never going to find purpose and meaning and answers in things if you simply just follow your heart. God did not call us to follow our hearts. He called us to follow Jesus. Jesus knows you. He knows what you seek. He knows what you struggle with. And he knows what's in your heart. And so it says here in verse 39, he said to them, come and you will see. And look at the last part of verse 39. They came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour, about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Can you imagine being there? Two of John the Baptist's disciples see Jesus walking by and John says, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you go to Jesus and he says, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? And you kind of let that go right over your head. And you're like, Jesus, where are you staying? And then he says, come on over here and you'll see. And then they go home and they sit down at the table with Jesus. Kitchen table talk with the Son of God. Could you imagine that? What would you ask? What would you talk about? Could you, could you sit up at the table? Or would you like, I don't know if I can go in this house. What an amazing experience 
that God came and sat across the table from these men. You know, it's interesting in verse 39, he uses the word staying and stayed a couple of times. It's the same word that we find in John chapter 15 where it says, abiding with Christ. That word abide, it means to remain or to abide or to find rest in. What's fascinating to me in this narrative is that what it takes to find the answers you seek is abiding with Christ. It's not just taking five minutes or ten minutes in the morning to open your Bible and read a passage and then read this devotion and then check that off your list. That's time well spent. But abiding with Christ is that you're with Him all the time. That He's guiding your thoughts all the time. That the desires in your heart, you're trying to always get them to be in line with what His desires are. That you want to love what God loves. That you want to love who God loves. That you want to show the love of God to others because it's so rich in your life that you can't go a day without being with Jesus. That's abiding with Jesus that you let Him so fill your heart and fill your time and fill your day and fill your calendar. You can't get enough abiding with Jesus. Then take a look what happens next. So these guys sit, and they're with him. And in verse 40, it says this. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Now we got one of their names, Andrew. And Andrew was Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. If you're taking notes, the point is this. Being with Jesus affects us to the core because Jesus is the answer we seek. Being with Jesus affects us to the core. That's inside, down, deep, because Jesus is the answer that we seek. He's the only answer that satisfies. He's the only answer that fulfills. He's the only answer that gives you what you're looking for. He's the only answer that will lead you to greater things. Everything else falls short. Falls short of the glory of God. So look what happens here. We meet Andrew. Andrew is Simon Peter's brother. John, the author here, is giving us a little details here. We haven't quite met Peter yet. But Andrew is one of those two that sat across the table with Jesus and had this awesome conversation. We don't know what the conversation was, but what we do know is it changed Andrew. It affected Andrew. Why do I say that? What do we see in Scripture that tells us that Andrew was affected by this? Because it says in verse 41, he first found his brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah. Whatever it was that Jesus talked about with Andrew and this other disciple at the table, when Andrew left the conversation, he was so affected by this conversation, he ran back to his brother and said, We found the answer. We found the Messiah. We found the one that God promised would come and the one who would fulfill all of God's promises. He's here and he couldn't wait to tell his brother all about it. It affected him. When you abide with Jesus, 
When you sit with Jesus, when you meet Jesus, it changes you. It affects you deeply to the very core of who you are, that you are no longer the same person that you were before. It changes you. And it changes you for greater things. Being with Jesus affects us because He is the answer that we seek. I want to share a few verses with you that that really stuck out to me, is that as we seek things, and again, like I told you, we are seeking things that are greater And Jesus is the answer. These are verses that really just, I came across this week, and I just love the idea of these. In Psalm 73, it says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Man. When's the last time you sat with Jesus and you simply cried out, You are everything to me. Though my flesh and my heart and my body fail, God, you are my strength. You are everything to me. Or is there other things that are creeping in that you desire more? It says in Jeremiah 29, 11, you've heard this, and God was talking through the prophet Jeremiah to the nation of Israel, but he says this, and I think a lot of it's true for you and me, for I know the plans I have for you. He knows what he wants for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil. What he wants for you, what God has dreamed for your life, is good. It's not bad, even though it may be hard, even though it may be a struggle, even though it might not seem as good as the person next to you. What God has dreamed for you is good. And it says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Look, what does that say to us? That God is near to you. That he is available to you. That if you desire God, if you seek after him, he's not going to run away and hide. He's not going to just make it hard for you to get to him. He says, if you seek me with your whole heart, you'll find me. The answer is there. The truth is there. Even Jesus said it in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Man, this is the God we serve. The God who so loved the world that he has made himself available to us. That the things we long for, the things we hope for, the things we search for, the questions we have in life, the struggles that we deal with, can all find their fulfillment and answer in the person of Jesus Christ. And in the very first chapter of John's gospel, that's the message he's saying. We've got 20 more chapters to go. But this is it. He is here. He is here. It makes a difference. You know, I think back in my own life, just to kind of share a little bit of my own testimony. You know, I grew up in church, was in church all of my life, and, 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 and came to faith at a young age. And I remember being that eighth grader sitting kind of back there on the back row and, and what the preacher was saying was just kind of going over my head, right? And, and there were times I didn't really want to be here. There were times I didn't really want to do this. And, 
I had a friend of mine who was not a believer in God. And an interesting, you know, this was, what, I don't know, 20-something years ago. He was one of the first people I ever met that when you said, do you believe in God, he was bold and said no. And I was like, whoa, never met one of you. <laughs> you know? And, and he became my best friend. And I was, you know, he, he, was, he was the cool guy, you know, the girls liked him. And I thought, if I can associate with him, things would go well for me, right? I mean, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and what I found happening was that he was really kind of leading me away from, from faith. And, and he was making me question things. And I think it was a good thing because I was seeing the world as it is in a lot of ways. But I remember when that relationship was falling apart for various reasons, we just kind of grew apart. I remember one day questioning, God, are you really there? Is this r- the faith of my parents? Is it really true? This whole church thing, is it really true? Is this, God, are you really there? And I went on this youth retreat to Charlotte. It was just one of those weekend retreats, Friday, Saturday, Sunday kind of things. And, and I remember the pastor before that thing started on Friday night, came out and, 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 and he, he said, before we begin worshiping this weekend, there are some of you who are here that either your mom made you come or you just didn't want to be here or somebody convinced you to be here. And that was me, and I heard him say that. And I was like, you know what? I, I really don't want to be here. This is not my thing. And he said, but if that's you, I just simply want you to pray and ask God to show up. And man, I listened to him. And those thoughts crept into my mind, and I said, God, are you real? Is this the truth? Are you really out there? If, and I put it out there this way. I remember it as plain as day. I said, God, if you really are, show me. It's a big deal. Because when you pray that from your heart, like he said in Jeremiah, seek me with your whole heart, and you'll find me. And that was from my heart. And dude, I have never been the same. I didn't think about it. I should have brought this Bible. I had a Bible at that time that my dad had given me. It's thicker than this one. Big old study Bible, right? It's on my shelf downstairs. I came home from that weekend and I had fallen in love with God. And his love was so available. Like, it's almost as if he'd been waiting to just dump his love on me from a bucket. He was just waiting on me to take that step. And when I finally did, man, I got drenched. And I opened that Bible. I remember days. I would, I, would, I would get up in the morning and I would open this big, thick study Bible and I would read. And man, I started underlining and I started highlining. It's something I've never done before. And I remember even to this day, one of the verses that I read at that age, what, 14 or 15 years old, I came across because I was reading through John. I was just reading as much as I could. I couldn't soak it up enough or fast enough. And I remember John 16, was one of those verses that just jumped off the page. 
You ever been in the Word like that? Where you're seeking God with your whole heart. And you're soaking Him up and reading and learning things anew. And then something on the page of Scripture just jumps off the page and it just hits you in the forehead and it's like imprinted on your mind and you can't... You, it just, you, you think of it and, and you're like, wow, what is that? In John 16.33, man, it stuck with me even ever since then. It says this in John 16.33. It says, take heart. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Man, that's, why do I share that story? I, I didn't plan that. Why did I share that? Because, man, I'm telling you, when you abide with Jesus, when you seek the truth, when you search for life, when you really put your heart to finding God, you'll find Him. And when you do, when you meet Jesus... You will never be the same. Let's keep going. i gotta, I got to share this with you. Look at verse 43. We're going to read verses 43 through 51 and wrap it up this way. Verse 43 says this, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael. And said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Remember, Jesus knows you. And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. If you're taking notes, the, the, the big idea is this. Someone who has been affected by Jesus will invite others to come and see. That's what we see taking place here in this passage. As you read this narrative, Andrew, one of those two disciples, left John the Baptist to go after Jesus. They followed Jesus. He invited them to come and find the answers that they seek. Andrew leaves that place completely changed and affected by being with Jesus. And it affected him so much that he went and he found his brother Peter and he brought Peter to Jesus, which I think we won't go into in great detail here, but that's significant. He didn't take him to the synagogue. He didn't take him to the temple. He didn't take him to the next Bible study. He brought his brother to Jesus. It's significant because sometimes we want to give up our role of bringing people to Jesus and just bring them to church or bring them to Bible study. Or bring them to the next event. No, you are to bring them to Jesus. What does that mean? Tell them who Jesus is. We have found the Messiah. This is what he shared with me. This is what he taught me. This is what he told me. This is how he changed me. Jesus can change your life. And oh, by the way, this is where I go to church and where I worship. When you find Jesus, come with me, right? I mean, bring to Jesus. 
Andrew found Peter. But then look at what happens in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And what did he do? He found Philip. And it doesn't give us a lot of great detail on what happened with him and Philip. It just tells us who Philip was. He was from Bethsaida, the same city of Andrew and Peter. It was a fishing town. And then what did Philip do in verse 45? He found Nathaniel. Andrew found Peter. Jesus found Philip. Philip found Nathaniel. Look, when you have been affected by Jesus, you cannot help but find people and bring them to Jesus. Found people. Find people. Found people. Find. Why? Because, and you've heard this analogy before, if you've got the cure to cancer, you're going to go find someone who has cancer and you're going to give it to them. If you've got the answer to eternal life, if you've got the answer to purpose and meaning and value and human dignity and love and grace and the sin problem we have, if you have the answer to that, you're going to find those who need it and you're going to give it to them. Found people, find people. Church, that's who we are. If you've been affected by Jesus, if you've been changed by Jesus, it's no longer about you and me. This place is a sending place. This place is where we go out of here to find people. Amen? Look at Nathaniel. Nathaniel asks this question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Many scholars believe that Nathaniel, sitting under the fig tree, was studying scripture because in Jewish tradition, young men were encouraged to every day take time, get under a big tree and study. So where was Nathaniel? He was studying under a fig tree. He was studying the word of God. And you, you know, nowhere in the Old Testament, the scriptures that he was reading, does it say the Messiah would come from Nazareth. And so G, uh, Philip comes to him, finds Nathanael, and he says, we have found the one that Moses prophesied and told about, the ones the prophets wrote about. He is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael's words were, I've been studying scripture, I've been searching the scriptures, and can anything good come from Nazareth? He's skeptical. It wasn't that he didn't know the word. It wasn't that he wasn't in the word. It was just simply that he wasn't believing it. Until what? Until he meets Jesus. Until he's coming to see. Because that's the invitation Philip gave. And that's the invitation that we give today. Is come and see. Come and sit with Jesus. Come and be with Jesus and see if you're not changed. Philip invites him. Nathaniel comes, and as Jesus sees him coming to him, he calls out to him and says, Look, basically, he says, Look, you're an Israelite among Israelites. There's no deceit in you. You are a man of integrity. And Nathaniel's like, How do you know me? Jesus knows you. And Jesus says to him, Before Philip even found you, I saw you under the fig tree, and that blew his mind. How? How'd you know I was under that tree? How'd you know where I was? How'd you know what I was doing? How'd you know what I was looking for? 
How'd you know what I was searching for? It must have been incredible to Nathaniel because he declares in that moment, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. And Jesus says to him, because I said that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? He says, look, you will see greater things. That's what it's all about. Has Jesus affected you? I'm going to invite Christy to come and she's going to play. And in this, in this time, this is an invitation. We do this at the end of every service and, and traditionally we call it an invitation because we are extending the invite. There's the invite to come and see. Are you skeptical like Nathaniel? Do you know the word but you're not really sure that everything in there is true? Are you not really sure about whether Jesus really is the answer? During this time, I invite you to come and see. Come talk to me. Come talk to someone else during this time or after the service is over, and I'd be glad to talk with you and glad to share with you about any questions that you have. This is an invitation to come and see. Come and find the answer that you seek. But also, church, it's it's an invitation to search your heart. Have you put something in your heart that you're seeking more than an abiding relationship with Jesus? Has Jesus somehow taken a back seat to something else? This is an invitation to come and lay that at the cross, lay that at His feet, and repent of those things and put Him first and begin following Him giving Him your everything to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why? Because for God so loved the world. This is an invitation to come and join the church. This is an invitation to say, hey, look, we are about finding people and bringing them to Jesus. That is our mission. And if you are looking for a team or a group or a place to be a part of where you can do that with other believers, we invite you to come and say, I want to be part of that. I want to join this church for that reason. It's an invitation to come. And see, to come and see what? To come and see what greater things God has for you and this church, your family, and this community. Let's pray for that. Let's pray for those greater things to be done in our lives. So right now, I invite you to pray. And come, talk with me. Come pray at this altar. Pray with your family. Pray with your friend behind you or in front of you. Whatever it takes. But I encourage you in this time, answer the invitation. Respond to him however he invites you to come. Let's pray.